This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Be a linchpin, be indispensable, be somebody that people cannot easily replace. And when you become valuable, that combination of financial confidence and then you also like having confidence in you doing a good job, like that is super powerful. That will just get you what you need to be successful in life. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about early retirement as a couple. Most of us are aware of traditionally retiring in our 60s or 70s and what life might be like when we're old and gray. But what if you could add another 20 or 30 years onto that retirement time frame? and have your spouse retire along with you. Well, that's what we're going to discuss today. And the person who's going to help us with that discussion is Maggie Tucker. Maggie is the Vice President of Marketing for Intercontinental Hotels Group and the co-host of the Friends on Fire podcast. This is a show on a mission to get friends to talk about money. Maggie recently gave notice at her job and will be moving into early retirement this spring. We're going to learn more about that decision, how she prepared, and some advice for others interested in early early retirement. Welcome to the show, Maggie. Thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I know we've been talking for a little while, so I'm glad that we could make this happen. Let's talk about this big decision that you've made. What led you to making the decision about early retirement and transitioning away from your full-time job? That is a good question. It, you know, it wasn't one moment. It was many things that slowly built up over a number of years. But if I had to break it down, I would say it was a mix of three core things. One was I am have been in a very high demand, high stress job, and I'm just like burnout and exhausted, to be frank. Two is, you know, just having more and more of these like life is short carpe diem moments where my husband and I are realizing like our kids are young. We've got about 10 more years of them in our care and still relatively liking us. And we've, we've, we're still young and we've got, you know, the energy and curiosity of all these things we want to do and explore in life. And then the third one, which is a critical piece of the three-legged stool, I guess, is realizing that we had the financial freedom and flexibility to be able to financially make this work. You're a part of the FIRE movement. You host a show about FIRE. When did you first discover this? And I guess, were you always saving and to a point where you'd be able to make this decision? Or was that a part of a time frame when you discovered the FIRE movement and then you amplified things? How did that all work? First off, to your point there, I've always been somewhat frugal, right? I think I got some of that through just the way I was raised. We didn't have, you know, we had, we had enough, but we didn't have a massive amount of stuff. And I learned a lot of just kind of frugality and DIY stuff through my dad. But I had never heard the term fire and was not even remotely familiar with the concept of retiring early. But I was always frugal. And I had a little bit of something that I call bag lady syndrome. Have you heard of that? <laughs> no, but I like it. Tell it, me more it, about bag thing. lady. <laughs> it's a real thing. There's a book called The Bag Lady Papers. Oh, it was like written it. by somebody who lost their entire life's fortune in the Bernie Madoff scheme. Oh they had invested my. through him. 
but it, it, I always had this sort of, I, part of my frugality was driven through fear of like, no matter how hard I work and how much I save, someday something's going to happen and it's all going to go away. So I was kind of like stockpiling stuff and I didn't even really know for what, quite honestly. And then, you know, Kirsten and Julian with Rich and Regular. Yeah. So I worked, we work at the same company. Oh, no way. Wow. What a small world. Yeah. So I worked <laughs> with both of them kind of not super closely, but like on and off over the years. And so I, I knew when they started Rich and Regular, like the early days of them starting that blog, I think was the first time I was familiar with the concept, right? So, and, and I was, I mean, the, people at work knew that they had that blog. I think I was more interested in it than the average person just because of my interest in personal finance and frugality and other things. So there was that piece that was kind of one defining moment, I would say. And then the other one is I actually met my podcast co-host at work. He became a good friend of mine. His parents retired early. His name's Mike. His parents retired when they were in their early 40s. And he was like what I would call a closeted fire enthusiast because he wasn't like out a part of the community. I don't even think he fully knew there was a big community around it. And he was just living his life this way. He grew up this way. And in having a lot of like really in-depth financial and kind of life goal discussions with Mike, it's what got us to start the podcast in the first place. And it really significantly propelled my financial journey and me having the like courage to take this path and to just sort of more, more directly commit to it. And then finally like take the plunge. Yeah. Wow. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about some of that preparation or, or course changing. What did you do to prepare financially to retire early? I, I know we hear all the time saving and investing is smart, but this is very nuanced when it comes to saving and investing. So how did you prepare to retire early? Like I said, I was always naturally frugal, but I also would splurge a lot. And when I look back at some of the things I spent money on in my 20s and early 30s, it's it's a lot and it's ridiculous. But I but I was like mixed with mixed in with frugality. So I wasn't preparing super early. Again, I was saving but not aggressively and the craziest thing that I was not doing was I didn't start investing until 2016, which was 5 years ago, about 5 to 6 years ago. So I was super late and I was kind of, there's a whole story on like why and just some of the, just, I, I was overwhelmed by choices. I didn't understand the simplicity of index funds, just a bunch of things. Mostly what I did to prepare prior to more aggressively investing, which I do now is I was living below my means on a fairly large salary that continued to grow over the years. And I was having a lot of success at work and in my career and that mix of like everyone around me was inflating their lifestyle and I was not. I, I still live the way I lived when I made, you know, 20% of what I make now. And that has probably been the biggest thing that has just supercharged my preparedness financially to be able to retire early. So even though I was so late in the investing game, had I been investing, I could have done this a long time ago. And I've, I've been really, the other big thing I would say is, in the past few years, I've very aggressively used our deferred compensation plan, which we have at our company. And, and my husband actually also has a different version, but a, a similar deferred compensation plan at his company. And so, you know, that combo of like saving a lot, getting my cost of living down really low, not letting my lifestyle inflate and not getting sucked into, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and all that, that really is the, you know, simple rather simple formula that many people follow kind of on their path to fire and to be able to retire early. As we talked about in the open, and as you just mentioned, this is something that your husband is fully on board with and participating in. These conversations that you have together as a couple, you guys are in sync. Uh, are you have any differences on the plan? What do you think there? 
we're pretty in sync. It's it's been an interesting journey. So first off, we were both married for 10 years, divorced around the married when we were young in our early 20s, married for 10 years, had kids, got divorced, ironically, 10 years into our marriages, met, you know, a couple years later and hit it off just on many different levels, not even financially. You know, as we're kind of starting to like build our lives together, we're realizing we have a lot in common financially, just in terms of our goals and what matters to us and and just a, a general lack of desire for physical objects and things and valuing experiences. And, you know, so we had a lot in common in that area. And, and I think we grew as a couple together on this journey. So it really was, it was like, I was always kind of frugal. He wasn't necessarily, but that a lot of that was related to kind of his previous marriage, not his own personal goals. And so I think when we got together, we, we just like, it was like compound interest on each other of, you know, we, we complemented each other. Well, we've really pushed each other on this journey and, and had a, a really good, like built-in accountability partner that you live with every day. And even Mike, who again, my podcast co-host is a good friend of ours. And, you know, Greg learns a lot through Mike and we have, you know, all these financial discussions as couples, even with Mike and his wife and Greg and I. That's great. That's good to be able to speak openly about money with friends. I know that's what you guys are all about on your show. So let's talk, I guess, a little bit more specifically about your investing journey. Are you planning to access traditional retirement accounts in your early retirement or some sort of taxable account that you had? Talk to us about that for you to be able to live on your money that you need for your annual expenses. Yeah. So we have a loose plan set in place. It's not super detailed and it's got enough kind of options and paths we could go down in order to, you know, tap into what we need for our living expenses and, you know, for kids college and all that kind of stuff. So ultimately just to break it down, simply tapping into our 401k through like a conversion ladder with the, you know, five-year waiting period and all that, that's a complete backup option. That's not really on our forefront. We know that it's there and it feels good as an additional safety net because we probably have more than we need in our 401ks, but it feels good to know that I could, we could tap into that. Our shortest term plan, certainly over the next 10 years is using our deferred compensation plans, right? So, so his is different than mine. He can take it. He's got a 457B, I think it's what it's called. He can take it out whenever he wants. Mine is a very specific and it's got so many rules. It's like hard to follow, honestly, but basically there are specific payouts that I will get over the next 10 years out of that. And they're mostly enough to cover my living expenses. And so I think that's the big thing is, and I honestly only got aggressive in that in a couple years. So it's crazy how much, if you get like, you know, if you get your expenses down low and then you can live on very little of what you're making and go big into a, a DCP or deferred compensation plan for just a few years, you can have enough to live off of for 10 or 20 years, especially as it's continuing to grow in the market. And then all that is invested in the market. We also have a few rental properties, but honestly, that's just like some icing on the cake. It's not, it's not what we're depending upon as our kind of core income. You've been able to control your expenses enough where your deferred compensation will be enough for you guys to live on as sort of a bridge to retirement. And then at that point in retirement age, you can even have that much more because you've been investing in a traditional fashion. Is that right? 
Yeah. And I have this rough view and that's why I say rough. Like if, if you talk to someone like Mike, he's got like detailed spreadsheets <laughs> that, that break this down by the minute of his life. I'm kind of like, look, I roughly know that DCP is going to cover us for the next 10 years. And then I know our rental properties are going to be a lot more productive because the mortgages will be paid down more. And so then I'm like, well, that's going to cover us then. And we're going to end up, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to ever not make money again in our lives. We're also very reemployable. We may do some like part-time consulting once our kids are more out of the house. If we get to the point where we hit a boredom level, you know, we, we may do something like that again, but we don't have to, and we'll be okay if we don't. That makes sense. And it's a really good plan. So let's talk about, I guess, some common questions people might ask you. What are you guys going to do for healthcare? Is that a part of your deferred compensation or is that something you have to go out into the marketplace to get? Yep. It's uh, something we're going to have to go out to get. It's a fascinating topic and one that I'm actually like mired in lately of, I, I haven't, I quit before I had a full uh, or resigned before I had a full exact view, which is kind of funny because I'm usually like a prepare first sort of person. (laughs) But in this case, we did a little bit of research early on. We knew what the worst case scenario was for the cost of our healthcare and we were willing to shoulder it. And that was with like the nicest plan in the healthcare.gov Affordable Care Act marketplace, essentially. And so the most expensive plan, like our high, our worst case scenario of what we would have to pay for medical insurance for the just the two of us, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, for just the two of us is somewhere between $8,000 to $13,000 a year. So that's factored into our cost of living. Now, we're, we are in a unique situation because we are divorced. We, when, we did, when we thought we were getting close to wanting to do this, we talked to both of our exes to confirm that we could put all of our kids on their insurance. They happen to be on our insurance now. In most of the cases, it's not even incremental cost, right? Like my ex already has a kid. He's on a family plan. It doesn't cost him any more to put my daughter on it. And so we did get them to commit that they were willing to take that on in exchange for the fact that we're not changing any of our child support setups, given that technically we could. And so we were like, we're going to leave all that the same until the kids you know, go to college. But all we're asking for is that you take the kids on from a medical insurance standpoint. Sounds like you guys have a good relationship there. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So for a family of five, that cuts out, you know, cutting out three of the people that need to be insured and three of the most expensive people. That helps a lot. But the other big thing is the subsidy. So like, for example, we're leaving, you know, about the middle of this year. We, we will not qualify for any subsidies in 2022. But in 2023, our income will be low enough that we will qualify for a pretty hearty subsidy or a pretty healthy subsidy. So that'll get, like when I said kind of worst case, it would be like eight to $13,000 a year for medical insurance for two people, which I don't think is terrible. I, I wish it was cheaper and I wish we had a better setup, but you know, being what it is, is not terrible. It's not worth staying in a setup that is not working for you long-term. We'll get that down to two to $6,000 a year for both of us with a subsidy. And we could maybe even optimize beyond that. Like I'm being kind of reasonable on how much income we will have through our deferred compensation plans. But the subsidy is pretty generous when you have a low salary. Absolutely. Yeah, that is something that people don't consider when they're thinking about the big, scary healthcare conversation. And even so, I, you probably ran the math with your kids. I know you guys, did you say you have three kids? Is that right? We have three kids. Yeah. Yes. Even with that, I mean, I looked at it and went with healthcare.gov, I think a silver plan. I don't remember the browns or silver or whatever. It was an HSA, you know, applicable one. And we were paying around 1200 or $1,300 a month and that covered our two kids. So it's not that much more than even the high side of 
where you were planning. So, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be a stopping thing. Obviously, it costs money. That's not a small amount of money to consider, but it should be considered nonetheless as something that could be done depending on how much you need to save. So it shouldn't be a stopping point for people who are considering this plan. Well, what's fascinating too is with the subsidy, it's not that much more expensive than what we already pay through our employers for our portion of it. So it's like you're already, you might not feel it, but you're already paying for medical insurance. It's just coming out of your paychecks. You don't, you don't write a check or, you know, pay a credit card, you know, payment to somebody, but it's not that far off again, if you qualify for a subsidy. I completely agree. I was just talking to my wife about that the other day. I think she pays maybe $300, $400 a month. And okay, uh, that's, it's still something. We're still paying something. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. Let's talk about the expense side because I don't want to overlook that. That's a really important part of the story. How much do you guys need to live comfortably each year now that you have this deferred compensation plan and you're like, hey, that's plenty for us to live on. What do you need to be happy? Yeah, so we need, it's funny, what do we need versus what do we need to be happy? 
I like to use the word live comfortably because I think there's that line of what do I need to cover my living expenses? That might sound a little grim for some people. It's like, okay, well, I cover my mortgage and my bills. Now I can retire early. That doesn't feel, I guess, comfortable to me. But then there's also lavishly on the other side. So I guess in the middle, comfortably, what do you guys need to live on comfortably? Yeah. So to your point, we could get by on a lot less. What we need to live comfortably, and we've we've measured this over a few years, is about $80,000. That doesn't, I will say just to be fully transparent, that does not include net child support, which is a loss between you know what my husband pays and what I receive. And so for privacy reasons, we don't share that, but $80,000 are our controllable expenses. And so that first, our mortgage is paid off. So that does not include, you know, that includes real estate taxes. It does not include any other, you know, just normal housing, you know, insurance, real estate taxes, et cetera, maintenance. But just to give you a sense of like what's in that, that $80,000 last year, 17,000 of that was travel. So we, we really prioritize things that we care about. What you won't see in that is, you know, we don't spend a lot on physical objects, right? We still, if you walked into our house, you would not know that it looks like a normal house with a, you know, but I don't rebuy. I just don't, I don't consume things in the way that I think the average American family consumes things. So we, we do control what we can, but we don't really limit ourselves on stuff like travel on, you know, we care about electronics. I mean, la- that $80,000 last year included, like we both bought new laptops. My husband bought a new Apple watch, like stuff we care about and value, we do, you know, pay top dollar for, and we, we don't, we're not frugal in every category. And so I don't know, like, I'm curious when you hear $80,000, does that sound high to you? That's the amount that Nicole and I spend. We're around $7,000 a month feels really comfortable to us. Yeah. And you got the hot tub in that and we, budget? <laughs> that, well, no, that, we don't, that's a one-time thing. So, okay, uh, okay. But yeah, we're going to pay the electric bill and the chemicals and all that. So yeah, I mean, it's just a little bit of extra stuff. One thing we're finding is that when we add these little luxuries into our life, like a hot tub or even just our cats, whatever, we got two cats the previous year, there are additional expenses, recurring expenses that come along with these things that we didn't quite factor in. So previously we were like, hey, you know, we're good on $6,000 a month. And, uh, you know, so what is that? 72K? Seven thousand is feeling a little more comfortable. So, in that vein, what about your thoughts about lifestyle creep? Because it has happened to you in the past. I know you you have that bag lady mentality, or, or I don't, don't want to misproper because I didn't read the article. Are you worried about lifestyle creep now that you are letting go of six figure careers and seeing what might happen from there? That is a great question, and I will have you know a very strong no. I'm not worried about it, and here's why I'm not worried about it. We we're, we make very high salaries. We could have been, and while we were making that money, we weren't even willing to spend it. And it was just not in line with our values. And so it's going to be even easier for me to you know, live within my means when I have less means, right? It, it was a little bit more tempting when I have you know, a large salary to build off of. And we've actually had years where when we're doing deferred compensation plan, like even this year, you laugh at like what my paycheck is right now. It's very, very small. It probably equates to what I got in like high school to part-time job. (laughs) Because we're deferring so much of our compensation, we get very little in our paycheck. So we're already like, we've been practicing it for a couple of years in a way, because though we have high salaries, we're not always seeing that money actually available to us every day or easily accessible to us every day. So I'm not worried about it at all because I know, you know, I'm, I'm 41, my husband's 43. We're not still figuring out who we are. Yes, we have a lot of ongoing, you know, growth and development we can and will do, but we know kind of in the, in the root, like what matters to us and what we care about. And 
And I know that splurging matters to me, right? Like we bought a fancy treadmill last year because our treadmill broke and like I can fit that in the butt, just like your hot tub and cats and everything else. Like every year there's something, right? So I'm very comfortable that we can live on, you know, anywhere from 80 to $100,000 a year and, and we'll be fine. And, and financially, like, you know, we've run the numbers and even with, you know, the stock market crashing and all that, like, we'll be fine. As we're recording, there's a little, a little funny thing going on in the market right now, but that's part of the planning. And maybe I'll just jump to that question right now before I had some other ones that I wanted to ask you. Since it's down, does a 50-year retirement feel risky with the market down? Or does the deferred compensation make you feel confident enough that you're just going to be led right into these traditional retirement accounts? Do you feel any of that, I guess, stress knowing that it's 50 years or 60 years instead of a 30-year retirement? Yeah, I mean, I probably feel a little bit of, you know, angst and fear and doubt and, you know, the, the normal emotions that go along with this. But, you know, like with the stock market being the way it is right now, which is down, not way down though, but down, it always goes back up, right? And I don't need that in the short term. And so I'm not worried about it. And, you know, the the odds that there's a, you know, 10, 20 year decline in the stock market are like zero. Or maybe, I don't know, zero, perhaps what someone who actually knows what the odds are would say, but it's very, very low. And so, you know, I think the odds are higher or the risk is higher in me not doing what we're doing, right? Like the risk of us staying, and we actually like our job. So I should preface it with that. We both have been at our companies for a very long time, have been successful. We are not miserable in our jobs. The demand is too high and we don't have enough margin in our lives. And we've got three young kids and we're not able to kind of always be who we want to be around them. But we like our jobs. We're very thankful. We like who we work for. We like the companies we work for. They've been incredibly good to us. So it makes it harder to leave. But at this point in our lives, we are having more and more moments where the risk of staying is greater. And I I don't know a better way to say it, but like, I'm not super, yes, I have my days that I'm scared and worried, but like most of the time I know, and we're both reemployable. That's the other thing. Like we prepared for this. If something goes wrong, we are easily reemployable and can go back into the job market in a large or small way when and if we want to. What you guys have done is just provided yourself options. You can change back into another identity whenever you want. You, you can go back into the work world. You can experience entrepreneurship. You can do nothing for a little while. It's your choice because you've given yourself those options and those choices. So thank you for describing your situation and kind of bearing it all here. We really appreciate that, especially for those listening that try to understand this whole fire movement or the early retirement, the, the details of it. So thank you for diving deep. Let's talk about your plans now. When does the early retirement start? When is the when is the goal line? <laughs> yeah, so I, I know we're having some camera difficulties, but I've got a calendar on behind me where I'm like counting down the days. We So our last day, we thought it'd be fun to make our last day the same day. It's kind of arbitrary. Even when I was discussing it with my boss, I was like, look, this is a negotiable day. I, like To be fully transparent, I was like, we're just doing the same day because we thought it'd be fun. So May 6th is our last day working, which means May 7th is the beginning of our early retirement. That happens to be my husband's birthday, which I think it, we wanted it to be a couple, a week or two before the kids get out for school. And this is two weeks before our kids are out of school for the summer. And we... We just were like, I've heard from so many people that we're going to go through some interesting emotions in the, in the beginning, in the first couple months. So I was like, I'd like to just be alone with my feelings for a couple of weeks and not have like kids at home every day. 
And so we've got a couple weeks that we're going to just, you know, ease into this early retirement lifestyle. And then we're also doing a long trip this summer with our kids for six weeks in Europe. And so we, we want some time to like prepare for that and get to decompress a bit before we go on that vacation. But yeah, May 7th will be our first day as early retirees. That's incredible. What are you most excited about, Maggie? What are you most excited about with this change? I honestly am excited for all of it. There's not even one thing. I, I'd say, you know, my, my biggest thing perhaps is being more present and patient with my kids and my husband and just, just having like time and margin in my life again. I say again, I can't remember the last time I did, but I've got a bucket list of things that I want to do in early retirement and I'm excited for all of them. I can't, I mean, I give you some examples if you want them. That'd be great. Yeah, please do. I mean, I have everything from like, I've always wanted to take, ever since I watched Man in the High Castle, I thought it'd be really cool to take Aikido lessons, which is a Japanese form of martial arts. So we may do that together or I might do that on my own. I've always been into like DIY stuff. My dad, who he passed away about 10 years ago, but he taught me a lot. I've got all his tools. I'm going to like build, I'm going to build a custom bed for us, like some different, I just want to build stuff. I want to get back into woodworking, which I did some of when I was in high school and really enjoyed. I want to go on long walk. I sound like I'm like a dating profile, like long walks (laughs) on the beach. I just want to like read a book during the day by myself in solitude for an hour, which has not happened in a long time. You know, we, we work out and are, you know, pretty active. I want to be able to go for a hike in the middle of the day and, you know, drive an hour away, go for a hike, come back, pick the kids up from school. And be nice to them and not stressed and, you know, and not even nice because I'm usually fairly nice, but like present. I want to enjoy these moments with them that are fleeting moments that we only have so many left of. I love that. How old are your kids? They are 10, 10, and 13. So like fourth, fifth, and seventh grade. Wow. The next five to 10 years, that's such an important time in their lives. And you and your husband are are intentionally taking the time to be there for that as well as filling up your own cup, you know, so that you can, so you can give back because yeah, it's important for us as parents to feel like, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there for every soccer game. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be a part of the PTO and I'm going to make sure I'm going to be there first in line for car pickup. But then if you are empty yourself and you're not filling yourself up, then you don't have much to give back. So kudos for you for putting yourself in this position putting family first, really both yourself first and and your family. Absolutely. Andy, I should add, I forgot to mention our moms. That's another thing is like our, our moms, like I kind of joke that we have enough, a little bit of time left where our kids still like us. We may not have more than, you know, 10 more years with our moms. Right. And that's one thing where like, I'd like to be able to help, you know, my mom's local and we're trying to get Greg's mom to spend more time here, but we want to spend time with them, right? While we have it. And, you know, they're, they're the people we have to thank for making us into who we are. And I'd like to give back more than I do in that category. So that's part of the sandwich generation that we're in where we are parents, we are taking care of ourselves, we're taking care of our kids, but then our parents are going to need some of our support as well, whether that's just emotional support and our presence or even our physical support as they age. So I am fully on board with this whole plan. I'm super inspired by it, Maggie. Thank you so much for sharing. There's somebody listening right now that's saying, wow, I would really love the option to early retire. I'm definitely not there financially right now, but I would love to be there in the future. What's one step that they could take following this interview just to start heading in the right direction to have this as an option of theirs in the future? So 
I'm going to give two steps because I think it's a, it's a two part one stepper. One is just get your finances in order, right? Lower your cost of living, get a safety net in place because there's a lot that comes with the security of some level of financial freedom. Not, not even the freedom of never having to work again, but just, just that is important. And then the second thing is be good at what you do, right? Like be good at your job because I deal, I, I've, I lead a lot of people and manage a lot of teams and have over the years. And, you know, the, the biggest factor or the biggest kind of problem I often see are people that they want all the fame and glory and promotions, but they're not putting the work in. Right. And so I think just being good at your job, one of my favorite books ever that I read 10 or 20 years ago was uh, linchpin by Seth Godin. And it is the idea of be a linchpin, be indispensable, be somebody that people cannot easily replace. And when you become, you know, valuable, that combination of financial confidence, and then you also like having confidence in in you doing a good job, like that is super powerful. And that will get you what you need to be successful in life, no matter what you do. I agree. Yeah. I mean, this whole journey of fire becomes a lot easier if you're able to grow your income. If you were able to grow your income and be a linchpin at your corporation, you can make more money and you can be more valuable. And it also just fills you up with confidence. As you're saying, you get that financial confidence, you get that personal confidence where each day is more enjoyable to live. Maggie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing this story with us and congratulations on such a big win for you and your husband retiring at the same time in May, right on right on his birthday, May 7th. Very cool. If people are interested in listening to your podcast and maybe just connecting with you, where should they go? Sure. You can find our podcast, Friends on Fire, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's available everywhere. You can also always go to our website, friendsonfire.org. And we have a free 2022 financial checklist you can download there and just, you know, some other helpful resources. And we're always just available. We love answering random financial questions from people, finance, lifestyle, anything. So you're always welcome to shoot us a question on there, or we're also pretty active on Instagram. I say pretty active, not as active as you are, maybe, but <laughs> I'm a little insane right now. <laughs> I'll be more active on May 7th, perhaps. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. I found Instagram to be a fun place to connect with people, just quick messages or shooting goofy videos. So yeah, connect with them on Instagram is a great place. And again, if you guys are listening to this podcast, easy thing to do is just type in a friends on fire on your favorite podcast player hit the subscribe button, actually hit the follow button, they call it now, I guess, uh, Maggie. So I'm, I'm learning my new lingo as we go. But Maggie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed this chat. Creating more time today instead of waiting until your traditional retirement years sounds like a very compelling concept to me. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Maggie Tucker. Number one, find out how much you need to live comfortably. This whole early retirement conversation becomes a lot easier when you have an idea of how much money you actually need. For Maggie and her husband, it sounds like that was around $80,000 per year, and that gives them their comfortable life. Nicole and I have found that number to be pretty spot on for us as well. Now, know that we don't have our mortgage as well, so that factors into our overall numbers. Now, $80,000, that may feel high for you or it may feel low for you for a comfortable annual living. That's okay. Find out what your number is because there's no right answer here. There's only your answer. Number two, 
If you have a high savings rate, realize you could exchange that for more time. If you're listening to this and you've been plugging away and saving for years and years and you've got a lot of money starting to pile up, realize that your high savings rate could be exchanged for more time now. Maybe you've hit Coast Fire already and you're thinking, well, I could put this money in a brokerage or I could get into crypto or what about working less? In Maggie's case, they're going from two full-time workers to zero full-time workers. Now, they've given themselves this option, and I think it's awesome. Perhaps you don't have as much money saved or invested or have as high of an income as they do, but you're a strong saver. Well, could your household go from two full-time workers to 1.5 full-time workers? Like one person goes to part-time and the other works full-time. Or could you both go to part-time? So you got essentially one full-time worker in the house, but there's two of you. So everybody's working 0.5. You know, my point is here, (laughs) your high savings rate has value. And that value is your time. Number three, take some time to dream. I love, 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 love conversations like this one with Maggie. She's opened up a whole new world to herself If you didn't have to work during the day, what would you do with your time? That's what she's asking herself right now. Now, I want you to ask yourself that same question. If you didn't have to work during the day, what would you do with your time? If you didn't need to make money, what would you do with your time? What would your day look like? What would you do more of? What would you do less of? Use these thoughts as fuel for your family fire journey, whether that includes not working altogether or part-time work or being a stay-at-home parent for a period of time or just starting your own business you've always wanted to do. It's amazing what we can do when we have control of our money. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM. And let's keep the conversation going. And by the way, thank you for all the really kind words that we received from last week's episode with Nicole doing bread and wine. That meant a lot to her. That meant a lot to me. And it's a difficult subject to talk about. And I'm proud of her for opening up like that. And it was really eye-opening for me as well. So thank you all for your support. It was really moving and I love this community. (laughs) Thank you. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing our show today and to Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on Instagram and YouTube and Dan Hines for helping us put together those YouTube videos And of course, Mandy Burt for her stellar writing on our site. Everybody, there's a lot of folks that help bring this all together. I wish I could just say, oh man, Andy, I'm really good at doing all this stuff. No, there's lots of people (laughs) that help me make this small business a big deal. Thank you. Hey, if you want to make some more connections with like-minded people who are on a mission to improve their family's finances as well. Well, you could join us in the Thriving Families Facebook group. This is a free Facebook group focused on helping young families thrive. And one thing we like to do in this group is share our wins. It's a lot of fun, especially with like-minded people. So group member Carlos 
E, I want to be specific. There's there's a few Carloses as part of this part of this community. This is Carlos E. He had this to share. $100,000 invested today. And we only had $8,000 invested in 2020. Wow. That, that is some major investment progress, Carlos. Very cool. Talk about getting intentional with your income because if I'm doing my math right, that's $92,000 of growth in two years. So yes, the market has done well over the past two years, but a lot of that had to have come from the income side. So this is Carlos and his partner commanding their money to build wealth. So Carlos, man, you are on your way to a comfortable retirement. And with this progress, we're seeing maybe even an early retirement like our friend Maggie Tucker today. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Carlos for sharing his big investing win with us? Very cool, Carlos. Congratulations. And thank you for sharing. Everybody, we really like this ability for people to share in our Thriving Families Facebook community. It helps other people see what's possible, get inspired, and, you know, throw out their wins as well. So we'd love to see you there at uh, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. It's a free Facebook group. I'm considering doing something different in the future, but it would still be a community. I don't have any details on it yet, but hoping to bring that together uh, within the next year. <laughs> but for now, Facebook is where we're living. That, again, that's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Melody Hobson. The biggest risk of all is not taking one. Define your goals and go after them, my friends. Carpe diem. 